Part One of the Epilogue to After the Divorce by Grazia de Leda, translated by Maria Horner Lansdale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Denham. A year elapsed. One night, when Brontu was away from home, Aunt Martina heard, or thought she heard, a low murmur of voices in Giovanna's room. Had Brontu come back? the old woman wondered, and if so, why? Could anything have happened at the sheepfolds? Tormented by the thought, she finally got up. The door was open, and she listened a moment. Yes, undoubtedly someone was talking in Giovanna's room. Not wishing to strike a light, she attempted to cross the room that separated her own chamber from Giovanna's in the dark. She made a misstep, however, and trying to recover herself, overthrew a chair. "'Holy Mary!' she muttered, setting it right again. Then she groped her way to the door, felt for the handle, and tried to open it. It was locked. "'What do you want?' demanded Giovanna's voice instantly. "'Has Brontu got back? No! Why? I thought I heard someone talking. Why have you got the door locked?' "'Is it locked? I must have done it without thinking,' said Giovanna innocently. "'I'll open it right away. Just wait a moment. I was talking to the baby. She wouldn't go to sleep.' "'Marietta!' called the grandmother but there was no response. "'Is she asleep now?' "'She is just falling asleep.' In the pause that ensued, a painful drama was enacted in the breasts of the two women. "'I will get up now and open the door,' said Giovanna presently, in a strained voice. But the old woman made no reply motionless, a cold chill creeping through her, she felt the horrible truth flash into her mind like a sudden glare of blinding light. Giovanna must have a lover, and that lover could be none other than Constantino Leda. In that moment of searching illumination, a thousand little incidents to which she had paid no heed at the time, a thousand little unconsidered trifles rose up to confront her, and she trembled from head to foot in a paroxysm of grief and rage. Yet, when Giovanna repeated, "'I will open the door right away,' she was able to control herself and answer quietly, "'It's not worth while. Stay where you are.' Then she turned, and crossing the room again in the dark, said to herself, with a sort of calm fury, "'Now is the time to show them that old Martina is no fool!' Her first impulse was to hurry downstairs and look out to see if anyone had climbed from Giovanna's window to the roof below, which, in turn, gave on another and still lower roof but she restrained herself, reflecting very sensibly that if Giovanna saw that she was suspected, 
she would instantly be on her guard. "'No, no! This is a time to dissemble, old Martina, to pretend, spy, listen, watch, and then—' What was to happen afterwards? The afterwards suggested such a multitude of wretched possibilities that the old woman threw herself on her bed in a torment of agonised conjecture. What would Brontu do if he knew? Poor Brontu! With all his violent temper, he was such a good fellow at bottom, and so tremendously in love with Giovanna. But there it was. He was so much in love with Giovanna that he would be perfectly capable of committing some crime, should he suspect her constancy. Then what would become of him? thought Aunt Martina. Ah, it will be far better for him to know nothing of all this trouble. I will implore Giovanna to be loyal, and not to betray her poor husband. And then, suppose, after all, I should be mistaken? Suppose she really was talking to the baby? Hey, no, no, someone else was there, and it could have been no one but Constantino. Oh, wretched creature, accursed beggar, is this your gratitude towards those who have fed and clothed and nourished you? But never mind, we will pay you back. We will drive you out of this house with a whip, naked as when you came into it. And thus, torn by successive impulses of hatred, pity, fury, and despair, Aunt Martina dragged through the weary night. One significant circumstance she did recall, that Constantino was said to be on good terms with Aunt Pacicia, Giovanna's mother. Sometime previously he had set to work in earnest, had rented a little shop, and was making a good deal of money by his trade of shoemaking. A repulsive thought came into the old woman's head. What if Aunt Bacchisia knew and encouraged her daughter's intimacy with her first husband? "'The old harpy detests us,' said Brontu's mother to herself. "'Perhaps Constantino makes her presents.' Daybreak found her still wide-eyed and sleepless. Getting up, she went out to examine the wall above which rose the roofs leading to Giovanna's window. Not a trace was to be found of any one having been on it. The dawn was exquisitely tranquil and beautiful. The village was still asleep, and the fields lay bathed in soft grey haze beneath a silver sky. Aunt Martina drew a deep breath. She felt as though she had awakened from a horrible dream. The utter peace and serenity of the early morning seemed to communicate itself to her distracted spirit. Then, on a sudden, happening to raise her eyes to Giovanna's window, she saw the young woman watching her, Instantly the conviction flashed across her that she too had lain awake the entire night, that she too was looking now to see if any tell-tale traces remained to betray the fact that she had had a visitor, and more than that, 
that she now was fully aware of Aunt Martina's suspicions. Across the space that divided them, the two women exchanged a look of mutual fear and hatred. War was declared. The battle opened in ominous calm, each side marshalling its forces in silence and secrecy. Aunt Martina's efforts were directed to allaying Giovanna's suspicions in the hope that she might some day surprise her and her lover together. Giovanna, perfectly awake to her mother-in-law's tactics, pretended not to notice anything, but at the same time proceeded with great caution in her relations with Constantino. He had entirely altered his mode of life. He now worked regularly and was doing very well, but underneath everything was a sense of unutterable melancholy, which he was never able wholly to throw off. "'I am doing everything I can to provoke Brontu to break with me,' said Giovanna one day. "'I want him to apply for a divorce so as to be rid of me. Then I will go back to you, beloved, and nothing shall ever part us again.' I will be your servant, your slave, and make you forget all your past sorrows. But Constantino only smiled wearily. It was true that he still loved Giovanna, but it was a very different kind of love from that which she had formerly inspired in him. Now there was more of passion, perhaps, but it did not go so deep and he knew, though he could not tell her so, that even were she free to return to him as his wife, he could never be happy again as in the old days. She was not the woman to whom he had given his heart, but another and a very different person, one who, having been false to both husbands in succession, was now perhaps deceiving them simultaneously. Often, Constantino was seized with an excess of rage against the entire human race, Giovanna included. He would have liked to murder someone, Brontu or Anbacicia, or even Giovanna, in order to avenge himself for what he had been made to suffer. And yet all the time he knew himself to be quite incapable of doing anything brutal or violent, and raged and fumed the more at his own weakness. His heart seemed to have sunk into a state of torpor, and to have lost the power to enjoy acutely. Uncle Isidoro was now constantly urging him to marry again, much as such an act would be contrary to his own principles. "'I have one wife already!' Constantino would reply, what could I do with another? Have her betray me too? All women are exactly alike. Then Uncle Isidoro would sigh and remain silent. He was in constant dread lest some new tragedy should befall. He was aware, partly from intuition, and partly because Constantino himself allowed him to have an inkling of the truth that the young man was holding secret intercourse with his former wife, and his daily fear 
was of some explosion. Thus he argued to himself that if Constantino could only be induced to marry some gentle, affectionate young woman who would bear him children, he would come in time to forget the other one and find rest and peace. To these suggestions, however, Constantino only gave the same weary smile that had now become habitual. "'Are you afraid that I will murder someone?' he asked, divining the old man's nervous terrors. "'No, no, there is no need to feel alarmed now. Matters are going too much to my taste just at present for me to do anything to disturb the current. The current was, however, in a fair way to be disturbed, after that night on which Aunt Martina made her discovery. On the following day, Constantino went, as his frequent custom now was, to Aunt Bacchisia's cottage. He had no liking for the old woman who had been chiefly instrumental in bringing about Giovanna's divorce. There were even moments when the thought of strangling his ex-mother-in-law got into his blood, filling his veins with a sensation of almost voluptuous joy. But he went there nevertheless, mainly because he took a dreary pleasure in living over the past in that little cottage where he had once been so happy. Moreover, he enjoyed listening to Aunt Bacchisia's never-ending abuse of everything connected with the house of Dejas. Did the old woman know of her daughter's renewed relations with Constantino? Neither of them had said a word to her on the subject, yet, like Isidoro, she suspected how matters stood, though unlike him, she made no effort to interfere. Constantino had made her a present of a pair of shoes, and from time to time he performed other little services for her. Had he asked her to allow him to meet Giovanna in her house, it is quite possible that she would have offered no objection. But up to the present time he had neither told nor asked her anything. On this day, however, he arrived visibly anxious and perturbed, and Aunt Bacchisia, who was sitting by the door spinning, laid down her spindle and gave him a steady look out of her sharp little eyes. Night was falling, and Constantino, who had worked hard all day, was tired, sad, unhappy. The soft brilliance of the summer night, the silence of the little house, the peaceful solitude of the common, the warm, sweet breath of the evening, all combined to create a flood of homesickness for the past, and an acute sense of present misery that was well-nigh unbearable. He threw himself down on a stool, and rested his elbows on his knees and his forehead on his interlocked hands. For a few moments neither of them spoke. The man was thinking of Malthinedu, of his little dead child. He seemed to see him then playing before the door, and hot tears trembled in his eyes. "'Do you know,' said Aunt Pakisia suddenly, "'the old colt is going crazy?' "'Who?' 
asked Constantino. Who? Why, the old miser, Martina de Jas. She got up out of her bed last night and went and banged on my Giovanna's door. She said she heard someone talking to her. Upon my soul, fancy such a thing. She has gone entirely mad. She always was half so. Ah, was all that Constantino said. Listen, my soul, said Aunt Pacicia, lowering her voice. Giovanna tells me that the old colt suspects— What? asked Constantino, raising his head quickly. Suspects that you and Giovanna— you understand? She has not said a word, the old maniac, but Giovanna has guessed that she has some idea in her head, and on that account I understand, said Constantino. He did understand. Evidently Giovanna had taken this method of warning him that they would have to be prudent. And so my soul, Aunt Bacchicia went on, for the present it will be as well for you to stop coming here, just so as not to arouse suspicions. I will go every once in a while to see you, for a chat, you know. Ah, she gave a weary sigh. You, yes, you are a man. Look at you, standing there now, as tall and handsome as a banner. When I think of that little freak of nature, Brontu de I declare I wonder what on earth Giovanna could have been thinking of to forget you. Ah, if she had only listened to me. Constantino, who had risen and was standing in the doorway, crimsoned with anger when he heard these outrageous lies being calmly offered for his acceptance. Hold your tongue, he began in a hoarse voice. But Aunt Bacchicia was not listening. She was looking intently up at the White House. Presently she whispered, "'Look, my soul, we are being watched now. Giovanna is right. Do you see the old harpy peering at us? Oh, I could tear out her eyes!' Sure enough, the figure of Aunt Martina could be seen lurking in the shadow of the portico. For the moment, Constantino, who had never really borne any especial ill-will towards Brontu's mother, felt all the anger and sorrow and rebelliousness in his nature concentrate into one bitter longing to do the old woman some bodily harm. He would dearly have liked to make a wild dash across the common, fall upon her without warning, and tear her eyes out, as Aunt Bacchicia had said. "'Never mind. Let her alone,' said the latter. "'Giovanna has told me that she is doing everything she can to make them ill-use her and drive her out of the house. "'Then we will apply for another divorce. "'You, my soul, all you have to do is to be careful and wait.' "'What a fight to wait for?' he asked roughly. "'Nothing can happen now that I want.' She said something more, but he was not listening. Standing erect and motionless on the threshold of the door that had once been his door, he stared across at the portico of the de Jasse house, feeling even more desolate and forlorn than usual. 
So, then, his one remaining consolation, that of holding intercourse with Giovanna, was about to be torn from him, and by the same people who had stolen from him everything else that made life pleasant. Moreover, they might deprive him even of life itself, should he continue his relations with her who really was his own wife. Ah, Dejas, accursed race! Yes, now the old mother as well was included in his hatred of that house, and the longing to cross the common, fling himself on the portico, and make the still summer evening resound with her shrill screams of agony at last overmastered him. With a sudden movement, right in the middle of one of Aunt Bacchisia's sentences, he stepped out into the twilight, and with rapid strides began to cross the common. When he had gone about half-way, he stopped, stood motionless for a moment, and then, altering his direction, walked away. Aunt Bacchisia watched his figure as it was slowly swallowed up by the shadows, and the silence and languor of the dusk deepened into night. After that evening, Constantino visited her cottage no more. One day, towards the end of October, Uncle Isidoro Pane had an unexpected visitor. The old fisherman, seated before his fireplace, was getting supper ready for himself and Constantino, who still made his home with him. Outside the air felt almost cold, the wind was rising, and long violet-coloured clouds were flying across the clear greenish western sky. Uncle Isidoro was thinking sadly of that evening when, amid the chanting of the women, they had interred Jacobi de Jas in the dung-heap. The earthen pot bubbled on the fire, and from without came the melancholy rustling of the fig-tree in the bushes shaken by the wind. All at once a low knock came on the door. "'Who is there?' asked Uncle Isidoro. "'Ave Maria!' The salutation came from Aunt Martina de Jas, who now, after satisfying herself that the old man was entirely alone, entered and cautiously closed the door behind her. "'Oh, Martina, razia plena!' responded the fisherman, astonished to see who his visitor was. Her head and shoulders were completely enveloped in a petticoat worn in lieu of a shawl, her features were paler and more gaunt even than ordinary, and to Isidoro she seemed to have aged greatly. "'Sit down, Martina de Jas,' he said politely, offering her a stool. "'What good wind blows you here?' "'It's an ill wind,' she replied. Then, looking all around her, she said, "'I want to talk to you privately. Can anyone hear us? Where is he?' still at the shop. He does not get back till later. Listen, said the old woman, seating herself, you can probably guess what it is that brings me here. No, I cannot guess, Martina de Jas, declared the other, though all the time he knew very well. 
"'But why didn't you send for me? "'I would have gone to your house.' "'At my house there is someone who has the ears of a hare. "'She can hear through a stone wall. "'Now listen. "'I don't suppose I have to make you promise not to tell anyone. "'You wouldn't betray my confidence, would you?' "'I will not betray you. "'You are a man of the Lord, Isidoro Pane.' A very dreadful thing has happened. Will you help me to set it right? If I can, spreading out his arms and hands, tell me about it. The old woman sighed. Tell you about it? Yes, she said. That is what I am going to do, Isidoro. But what I have to say burns my lips, and you are the only human being I would breathe it to. A terrible misfortune has overtaken my house. Do you see how old I have grown? For months I have not been able to close my eyes. Giovanna, my daughter-in-law, has a lover, Constantino Leda. You don't seem surprised, she added quickly, seeing that the other remained unmoved. You knew it already. Someone has known about it. Perhaps there are others too. Perhaps everyone knows the disgrace of my house. Easy, easy, don't be frightened. I did not know it, and I don't think anyone else does. It may not be true either, but if it were, and people knew about it, no one would be surprised. No one would be surprised? Certainly not, Martina de Jass. No one at all. Everyone knows perfectly well, pardon me if I speak frankly, that Giovanna married your son entirely from motives of self-interest. Now Constantino has come back. They were in love with one another before, and now they are in love with one another after. It is perfectly natural." "'It is perfectly natural. How can you say such things, Isidoro Pane? Is it perfectly natural for a woman to be unfaithful, for a beggar taken in out of the streets to betray her benefactors? Is it perfectly natural that my son, Brontu de Jass, who had the courage to do what not another soul would have dreamed of doing, is it natural that he should be deceived?' "'Yes, it is. All natural.' "'Ah!' exclaimed Aunt Martina, getting up, her eyes flashing with anger. "'Then it was quite useless for me to come here.' "'Easy, easy,' said the old man again. "'Just sit down, Martina, and tell me quietly what brought you. "'Let us put all these questions aside. "'They are of no use now, anyhow.' and discuss the situation as it is. I think I can guess what it is you want me to do. You want me to use my influence with Constantino to get him to leave your family in peace? The old woman sat down again and opened her heart. Yes, that was what she wanted, that Isidoro should do all he could to induce Constantino to give Giovanna up. "'This misery will kill me,' she said in conclusion. 
her voice trembling, "'but at least my Brontu will have been spared. Ah, if he should ever find out about it, he is lost. He is sure to kill someone, either Giovanna or Constantino. I am continually haunted by the most horrible presentiments. I keep seeing a smear of blood before my eyes. You will see, Isidoro, you will see. If we don't find some way to stop this shameful thing, some horrible tragedy will occur. As she talked, Aunt Martina had been growing steadily paler, until she was now quite livid. Her lips trembled, and her eyes gleamed partly with anger, partly with unshed tears. "'You alarm me, and you make me feel very sorry for you as well,' said Uncle Isidoro gravely. "'But see here, whose fault is it all?' I remember. This visit of yours brings it all back to me. Another visit I once had. It was from Jacobi de Jasse, poor soul. Well, he sat there, just where you are sitting now, and he said almost the same words. We must find some way to stop this thing. If we don't, some terrible misfortune will surely happen. And so we did. We tried our best to stop that shameful thing— but without avail. You and your son, and all the rest of you, were determined to bring about your own ruin. You fell into mortal sin. You broke the laws of God, and now your punishment has come. We, only we, exclaimed the old woman haughtily, no, the fault belongs to them as well, to Bacchisia Era for her avarice and wickedness in throwing her daughter at Brontu, and to Giovanna for abandoning her first husband when she loved him and marrying another out of self-interest. The blame belongs equally to all, or rather it does not. It is theirs alone, for we did nothing but what was good. It is theirs, theirs, and I hate every one of them, vile, low-born beggars, traitors. And I can tell you, if Constantino does not give this thing up, he'll bitterly regret it. Beg, implore, adjure him. Tell him not to bring ruin on a respectable house, and then, if he will not listen, hush, Martina, begged the fisherman seeing that she was working herself into a fury, don't talk foolishness. But tell me, are you really certain that Giovanna and Constantino are meeting each other? Absolutely certain. For three months now, as I told you, I have hardly closed my eyes. One night I heard someone talking to Giovanna. She saw right away that I had noticed something, and for a while she was on her guard, but now, now she has thrown aside all prudence. The other day they met at Bacchisia Era's cottage. I saw them plainly, and not only that, I heard them. I listened at the door. Then last night he was with her again. Do you understand? Actually in my house, beneath my roof. And I, I was trembling so with rage, I hardly knew what I was about. But I waited for him below. I was going to speak to him, and then I was going to stab him, kill him if I could. 
I had a knife ready in my hand. But do you know, I could not stir a limb. I could not even open my lips when he crept down as stealthily as a thief, first onto the roof and then the ground and away. I am nothing but a poor old woman. I can't do a thing. I was just frightened and I hid. Giovanna knows that I care more for Brontu than for anything else in the world, and that I would sacrifice everything to spare him, even the honour of our name. And so the ungrateful creature is taking advantage of the tenderest feeling that I have. She is counting on my being afraid to tell him, for fear that he will commit murder, and so be ruined for ever, and that is why she dares to carry it on. But Isidoro, I will be capable of doing almost anything if Constantino does not break this off. Tell him so. "'But why don't you speak to Giovanna?' asked the fisherman. "'Because, well, I'm afraid of her. She follows me about and watches me all the time like a tigress ready to spring. She hates me just as I hate her at times, and at the very first word she would fly at me and choke me to death. I don't dare to open my mouth. Oh, it is all so horrible. You don't know what days I pass.' Death would be far less bitter than the life I am leading. As she spoke these words, Aunt Martina buried her face in her hands and began to sob. A feeling of intense pity rose in the old fisherman's heart. In the days of his most grinding poverty, he had never been reduced to tears, and to think of the rich, proud Martina de Jas, being actually more wretched than an old pauper like himself. "'I will do my very best,' he said. "'Now go, and try not to worry. You had better get off at once, though. It is time for him to be coming back.' She got up, wrapped the petticoat carefully around her head and shoulders, and when Isidoro had looked out to make sure that no one was about who might recognise her, walked slowly away. The air was sharp, the wind was blowing in gusts, tearing the first dead leaves from the trees. Aunt Martina, struggling against it, felt more anxious and depressed even than when she came. It seemed as though that chill autumn wind that shook and lashed and tore her were tearing and lashing her spirit as well. The presentiments of evil that she had spoken of as haunting her were stronger than ever. Passing a certain wretched little hovel, more forlorn and poverty-stricken than any of the others, she shot a keen glance at it, and then quickly lowered her eyes, as though in dread lest some invisible being should read the dark thought of her soul. The owner of this hovel, a poor peasant, had come to her some time before, and had asked her to lend him some money. "'Lend it to you?' she had exclaimed derisively. "'And how do you propose to repay it?' "'If I can't pay you back in money,' the man had replied, 
There may be some other way of showing my gratitude. You could require any service at all of me. She understood what he meant. He was ready to undertake anything, even the commission of a crime, in order to get the money he needed. But she had not wanted anything, and so had sent him off. Now, passing the forlorn little house, rapidly falling into ruins, through the darkness and wind and melancholy of the night, she saw again before her the gaunt, resolute figure of this man, his hollow, sunken eyes, his lips white from hunger, his dark, bony hands ready for any act by which he might hope to snatch a little ease and comfort out of life and the horrible schemes of vengeance that were tearing at her selfish old heart began to take a fearful and well-defined shape. Thus she passed on, a dark forbidding form enveloped in her black tunic, swept by the wind past that wretched hovel like a shadowy portent of evil. End of first part of the epilogue. Recording by Tom Denham.